Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Sleep is so, so important. Uh, Not necessarily just for those folks who like to sleep in, not for those folks who have the blessing of sleep, but certainly for those folks who might not have the blessing of sleep, sleep is important. So many restorative sort of processes and functions occur while we sleep. It's not that the body completely shuts down, it is that our potentially, possibly, We can say it this way. It is that the body no longer in sleep is as interactive in a conscious sort of way with the environment of the world around us. But that doesn't necessarily mean, again, that the body shuts down during sleep or is not interactive with the external world. It just means all those things that go into our conscious awareness, which is a A huge, I was going to say, large, big psychological construct does not have to operate in the same fashion, form, or manner. And as much as sleep represents anything, then we're not worrying (laughs) as much. All the energy that goes into what we might also potentially call hypervigilance That awareness of the potential for threat to not only exist, but may impinge in some manner or fashion upon us, doesn't have to be quite so active. Uh, I am sure that there is some reactive aspect of that that does not require conscious intent. But what I'm really trying to capture is consciousness, that level of awareness, (laughs) awareness is sort of like a cell phone, (laughs) when you have your Wi-Fi on, or you know that there's other processes going on, even if you're not using it, it still drains the battery. And should you be using it, there's multiple applications or apps going on at once. Before you know it, the power can be sapped. And therein, sleep is the time or the opportunity to regenerate. Now, does that mean there's no neuronal or brain activity? Of course not. Neuronal activity goes with just being alive. Brain activity, the same. In that sort of way, the brain is still processing and functioning and Maybe, (laughs) again, it is when the extra little bit of energy as would then be in reserve, as would then be with the turning off of the conscious mind. Maybe there's a bit more processing that can be done, a material that didn't get a chance to be processed during our conscious wakeful state. And then we have dreams, which may or may not represent that. Seemingly they do. It all kind of comes together as we (laughs) then clean up and sort the memories. We do our disk fragmenting and cleaning, file maintenance during best, quite possibly, during sleep. So sleep is an important function. And 
just for the sake of the biology of it, absent the psychological aspects, as this podcast today has been sort of geared, and all our podcasts are geared toward, you can't survive without sleep. (laughs) A person really goes crazy without sleep and eventually would die if sleep-deprived. It is then, therefore, considered a primary operative, or with that notion of operation, primary drive, (laughs) just like food and water and all the other things you worry about. Sleeping is essential, and there are stages to sleep that one has to proceed through Lest, without the entire stage-dependent model of processing, you don't get the full benefit or effect. Fast-wave sleep, slow-wave sleep. And with that, too, a lot of things disrupt their sleep besides nuisance, worry, Uh, External causes keeping us awake. There are internal, again, determinants that keep us awake. We lie in bed at night worrying. We think about things. We can't shut our minds down. We can't find that, that way that otherwise our body could go through the right stages of slow and fast wave. And what are we talking about? We're waves, brain wave. That's how we measure it. Physiological reactivity or activity so that the digestive system can work well. All of the important functions of survival that take place during sleep. If you can't fall asleep, those functions do not happen in the best of ways, optimally. So, what causes that, whether it's external, as in nuisances, again, things that impinge upon us, threats to our life and limb, excitement, even good things that might excite us. There are also biochemical reactions and With that then, even something as basic as food and when you eat can affect your sleep. That was a long intro, but hopefully it'll tie all together by the time the podcast is over. Psychology Today, November, December 2023. In the supplemental science section under the category of health, A article by a staff writer, author, Hara Ostroff Murano, to eat perchance to sleep. When you eat, perhaps as much as what you eat has a direct impact on sleep and wake cycles set by the brain. Name a country and, with the possible exception of Spain, Sleep problems appear to be on the rise. More and more people everywhere are reporting less and less sleep and less restful sleep. 
Not only are they missing the near universally recommended seven hours per night, they're also having a harder time falling asleep and staying asleep. As sleep takes a dive, medical concern is rising. Studies increasingly link both sleep deprivation and sleep irregularity to a growing host of ills from motivational blahs to metabolic disorders to cardiovascular mortality. Sleep is a biological imperative, rhythmically encoded in every cell of the body. The human sleep-wake cycle coordinates all mental and physical processes and how well those processes function. Sleep is essential for cognitive performance, metabolism, immune function, and appetite and hormone regulation, to name a few. The master timekeeper tucked into the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus is closely tied to nature's cycle of light and darkness. Light is the main cue prompting the SCN to coordinate the rhythm of physiology and behavior. But it's not the only one. External temperature and physical activity levels have an influence. So too does diet. In fact, diet is one of the stronger synchronizers of the body's clock mechanisms. A Zeitgeber in the lexicon of science. Irregular or abnormal feeding times, researchers find, can interfere with the effects of environmental cues on the central pacemaker. They can, for example, interrupt the rhythm of melatonin production, the sleep-inducing hormone the brain produces as day darkens into night. Feeding needs are so timed to daylight that mistimed dietary intake, such as late night eating, has even been found to alter the genetic machinery of the body clock itself. Feeding signals may have their greatest effect on the pacemaker mechanisms of specific organs of the body, the liver and kidneys, for example. Over the last two decades, researchers have increasingly incorporated information about the body's temporal rhythms into nutrition research, developing a field of study known as chrononutrition. One of the clearest findings of chrononutrition is that most people function best and metabolism itself benefits when food intake, like other human activity, is aligned with the biological clock, which is synchronized to light cycles. For most of human history, there was no other way to survive. The agricultural revolution and later artificial lighting changed all that. Even in the 21st century, mounting evidence suggests we should be eating most of our calories and certainly our carbohydrates at midday meal and stopping food consumption before late evening. Some research indicates that in terms of metabolic and brain health, such time restrictions of food intake is more important than the amount of energy consumed at those times.
In other words, a calorie is not always a calorie. Studies repeatedly show that shifting energy intake to earlier rather than later in the day not only induces weight loss, but also lowers levels of LDL cholesterol, fasting glucose, and insulin resistance. Even in the unremitting darkness of the human gut, light exerts its pacemaker influence. Gut microorganisms, like other living things, have their activity rhythms, time to light and dark periods, signaled also by melatonin and temperature. Several studies demonstrate that circadian disruptions in sleep, diet, and eating patterns affect the diurnal dynamics of microbiome, impairing metabolic function and inflammatory processes, leading to an increased risk of metabolic syndrome. Delayed meal intake, breakfast skipping, and late night eating have been associated with circadian rhythm disruptions of glucose, metabolism, body temperature, and secretions of melatonin and the stress hormone cortisol. But the timing of meals is not their only influence on circadian competence in sleep. Their contents count too. There are a number of specific nutrients that influence sleep by affecting the body clock and other means. In fact, it may be that the healthful, healthful effects of the Mediterranean diet are due in no small measure to the contribution it makes to circadian patterns and sleep. The diet rich in plant-based foods is also rich in melatonin. Melatonin is both a hormone that influences circadian rhythm and a powerful antioxidant. It is produced by the brain's pineal gland, but is also a component of many fruits and vegetables. Tomatoes, olive oil, red wine, almonds, pine nuts, garlic, cauliflower, lentils, and barley are among them, all components of the Mediterranean diet. Animal-derived food products, meat, fish, eggs, contain only minuscule amounts of the substance. The melatonin content of even the same food can vary enormously. Depending on the variety of plant grown, the time of day it is harvested, and post-harvest processing. Nevertheless, studies show diet-derived melatonin raises human blood levels of the hormone and is biologically active. The regular consumption of such foods, researchers believe, can influence both sleep quality and sleep quantity. Apart from the foods themselves, the Mediterranean diet is notable for assigning the bulk of energy consumption to the meal at midday, when circadian rhythms can most accommodate it. No one has yet quantified how many of the health benefits of this diet are due to promoting restorative sleep, but sleep seems to be yet one more pathway through which the diet can lower the risk for such chronic conditions as cancer, cardiometabolic, neurodegenerative, and psychiatric diseases.
The Mediterranean diet contains other nutrients that influence sleep. One is serotonin. While serotonin itself has a complex effect on sleep, adequate serotonin levels are essential for production of melatonin in the body. High levels of serotonin are found in spinach, tomatoes, plums, and walnuts, all foods regularly consumed in the Mediterranean diet. Milk is also rich in serotonin. And while milk is not regularly consumed as part of this diet, adults in the region generally lose the ability to tolerate lactose unless it undergoes fermentation. It is ingested as cheese. Omega-3 fatty acids found in fatty fish and consumed at suboptimal levels in Western diets also promote melatonin production in the body. Studies link them especially to increase sleep efficiency. While salmon is not native to the Mediterranean, other fatty fishes, tuna, mackerel, and anchovy are. Of course, the best source of nutrients is always whole foods. They usually contain many factors that work in synchrony to promote positive effects. But supplements of substances such as melatonin and omega-3 fatty acids are supported by many studies. Health section, supplemental science section of Psychology Today, November, December 2023. To eat, perchance, to sleep. When you eat, perhaps as much as what you eat has a direct impact on sleep and wake cycles set by the brain by Hara Estroff Murano. <laughs> eat well, and it sounds like well would be the Mediterranean diet. And as specific as the article was, and I gave you, I read to you, and reading to you, I gave you then the primary components of the Mediterranean diet, particularly as they relate to sleep, that would be a strong then recommendation should there not be some other contraindication that either that either psychology today does not reference or I'm not aware of, consult your doctor before you implement any sort of dietary changes because I'm not a medical doctor. My doctorate is in counseling psychology and only your medical doctor who knows you very, very well could give you the ultimate yes or no. But I think, generally speaking, the information is good. And with that, then, small modifications, if not wholesale changes in your dietary habits, depending on when you eat and what you eat, may actually be good for you. And you may find they align quite well with the recommendations, or at least the implied recommendations, of the article. That said, melatonin and serotonin, both high resulting the release of such, melatonin as in the distribution, serotonin as in release of such on a physiological level can help not only sleep, but all the great things that sleep does for you as we attempted to capture in the intro on today's podcast. But particularly with serotonin, 
Serotonin over the last two or three decades has been the primary go-to in terms of pharmacology and with that, one of the, if not the most, some might argue, to date, significant discoveries was not only the general effects of serotonin in a positive way when it comes to psychiatric health and the restorative aspects that sleep aids in when it comes to mental health, good psychological health and function that pharmaceutical companies antidepressants made a radical shift to most of them being based on serotonin, the principle of serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Serotonin reuptake is just basically that the body produces serotonin. The medicines don't necessarily give you serotonin or aren't necessary to the creation of serotonin, just simply keeping higher levels of serotonin in your system. The same with dopamine reuptake inhibitors, which were then secondary to that primary dynamic, the discovery of that dynamic, and the use of the body's naturally occurring hormonal sort of intentions. And in this case, because... (laughs) Word is all about, psychology today is all about psychological operations, although as with this supplemental section of psychology today health, you have to also attend to the primary biological drives. Not only as we've stated good sleep, but the association herein with the Mediterranean diet in the article, good nutrition. That would then be one of those recommendations should someone come to see me or seek psychological counseling from me or anyone else for that matter that is credible, licensed, and vetted. They're probably going to remind you of not only good sleep hygiene, but good dietary hygiene. Normalize your routines. Take advantage of the knowledge and research that's out there that we know more, most universally is applicable regardless of where you might live on the globe as to be beneficial to human operations and function. Take advantage of all that research and the knowledge and database that's out there when it comes to self-care and good general health. Continue a very strong and robust relationship with your primary care physician. Regular routine checkups. Monitoring the status of your physical functioning. But should you begin to have issues with sleep, that's probably a red flag that you want to pay attention to, whether it is from more physiological or psychological perspective. They go hand in hand. And as the article captured, and we again stated in the opening introduction, There's a lot of disorder and disease and malady that could then ensue as a result of sleep deprivation, including death. It could be the death of you. So we might recommend psychiatric care 
We might recommend pharmaceuticals. We might recommend as adjunct melatonin supplements. We might, I wouldn't, a physician would. But we would recommend as a psychological counselor that you consult with your physician. Your pharmacist, too, is a good resource. Whether there's any reason you shouldn't take a melatonin supplement. But I think the central messaging here is the more, at least for me, I'd want to communicate, the more organic it can be, the more your sleep hygiene, your sleep routines, your dietary intake routines, your activity levels are based on not only the external impinging factors, hopefully not a lot of worry, (laughs) fight or flight, kind of things that go with cortisol awareness. Actually, it would be a misnomer if you took from what I've said on the podcast today to suggest that even hunger is sort of getting into that territory of fight or flight because hunger too, starvation, can result in death. Everything about the body has a life or death dimension. So all primary drives are to the preservation of life. Fortunately, most of us are not pushed in some sort of environmental or even with that internally sort of dictated direction, precipitated direction, that it would compromise our very life. But we don't want to go there either. So the body lets us know fully. With plenty of time available before we'd hit that tipping point of imminence. When we need something, primary drives predicate upon needs, not wants. But that's what the whole package is about bodily. It's about preservation of life. But even as the article captured it, it's not only a quantity, life, death, But as we've said many times on the podcast, it's a quality of life issue. Take care of your body, as in self-care. Take care of your primary needs. Take care of your primary drives in the optimal best of ways. Don't do things that would then be harmful to your body that we know research has told us is not advantageous or helpful that would disrupt the primary drives, the bodily operations first. (laughs) Then seek psychological counseling and psychotropic medications adjunct or secondary to that if that doesn't fix it, so to speak. It's not that psychological counseling or psychiatry doesn't have a place with preventative care because it does. But this is the place. It's with telling you your body already knows good mental health. Your body already is programmed to good psychological health. Physical health. Yes, there are genetic aberrations, predispositions for disease and disorder. We'd like to believe in a primary care context, you could avoid them, whether it's from a medical or physiological standpoint or a psychological standpoint. Manage your stress adaptively. Use sound adaptive coping mechanisms. 
Surround yourself with strong social connections and relationships. Employ hypothetical reasoning. (laughs) Be educated, knowledgeable. Take advantage of information that's been vetted. It's been researched, employing itself, research methodology. Proven itself valid and reliable. Seek advice and counsel from those that are licensed. Those who have proven themselves educationally through degrees, certificate programs, and then maintain licensure and certification through continuing education. Do all of those things first. And then should you have additional problems or should they be beyond your control? Whatever the factors. And that can be, again, an internal, as even with genetics, something awry medically, physically. Things happen like that. Or even externally so. Very toxic environments. Maybe they're personal, maybe they're general, maybe they're cultural, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's more of a choice, maybe the choice really isn't yours, it's someone else's. Whatever it is that's beyond your control or you need some adjunct assist, additional assistance or help in managing or should it have gotten to the point where symptoms are manifest, it's not prevention any longer, and you need just some calibration, as talk therapy is best inclined to do. Making some changes in your mental paradigm. Maybe you've fallen into some sort of too much hypervigilance, too much worry. Maybe the biochemistry and the anxiety, and then maybe the biochemistry and anxiety turned depression. Maybe with that, there's some sort of component of inability to really stay on point with good reality testing. For God, heaven forbid, if I could say it that way. I've got to be careful how I say things. That we would help you with. Come see someone. Should it be just, again, because your marriage, your significant other relationship... Your family should be going through extreme stress and duress for any number of reasons. We are support. Secondary care, we want to be there for you, to help you, as does all of the other professions that would maybe attend more to the physiology, the medical. And then there is always that person or individual who may need tertiary care. It's not that you've not done it well, or that you've not done it right, or it's not that there can't be some remediation or correction, adjustment. But by the time it becomes a disorder, you may need pharmaceuticals. You may need serotonin and dopamine reuptake inhibitors. You may need more than melatonin to sleep. You may need transcranial magnetic TMS, I think it's called, stimulation. (laughs) They use the same technology that's used with magnetic resonance imaging to stimulate specific parts of your brain to facilitate a more direct release of hormones and neurotransmitters. 
there's plenty of options available to you. Just do the most elegant and efficacious first. And that's what the podcast is all about. I think that's what the intention, I I would believe, that's what the intention of Psychology Today and its editor, editors, are all about. It's all about prevention, empowering you with good knowledge so that we could do it with the least or within the least of restrictive alternatives, the least of additional resources. (laughs) If your sleep can help you process daily stress and psychological material by turning off all of the most imminent of impinging sort of threats. And with that, you can get into a really good rhythm, as with circadian rhythm and cycle. Good, again, hygiene practices of Emotional, psychological, physical, hygiene, dietary, sleep, so that the body can function optimally and you don't need me. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is the epitome of good care, self-care. But should you, then give us a call. Catch us on the podcast. Go out and you either get an edition, it's still in publication, print, of Psychology Today, or go online, <laughs> subscribe, and read their articles. And there's plenty of other journals, both virtual and, I guess you'd call it literal, that's available. But you can also call us, 304-523-9673, word thewordhouse.com you can email me at drmdclay at thewordhouse.com we're on Facebook and at YouTube at the Word House. but you can come back and catch the next podcast of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay and should you want to reach out but maybe not specifically to me maybe you want to see somebody in person and geographically it would not be possible to see me maybe you're more inclined to want to see someone of a particular persuasion (laughs) one of those more sort of superficial male female gender non-gender whatever might be your preference There's plenty of resource on the Psychology Today website when it comes to a directory of providers. You can take a look at their education, their bios, their curriculum vitas, their resumes, so to speak, and get an idea as to who might best fit you. They're all vetted. They're all licensed and certified. That's the beauty, so to speak, of that directory. You can go to one place and find many, many, many different providers that represents many, many different specialties, that represents many, many different orientations and options. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the beauty of life. There are plenty of options. It's not only one or two quantity, it's quality. 
Of course, we would want to invite you back to our next podcast, which we drop weekly. And until we get that chance to meet again, perchance, I want to wish you the best of not only good mind health, psychological health, mental health, whatever you'd want to call it, but also good physical health. And in that same sort of a way, I hope that represents the very best until we get a chance to talk again. Thanks.